I discovered that drawing isn't what we think of when we think of drawing lessons, you know, go and draw a bowl of fruit or a skeleton or a naked person or something like that, that actually drawing is something that can be integrated into your daily life. And you can draw what you eat for breakfast. You can draw the other people on the bus as you go to work. You can draw literally anything. And it all is art, or maybe it's not art, or maybe that doesn't matter. But it is a really fun thing to do. And it really I found it incredibly centering and meaningful, and that's that was that was a, a process that started twenty years ago, and I still draw every day, and I still love it. That's Danny Gregory, the co-founder of Sketchbook School and author of nearly a dozen internationally best-selling books on art and creativity. But Danny didn't always define himself as an artist. In fact, it wasn't until his 30s that he started putting pen to paper after his wife had a serious back injury. His first book, a memoir called Everything Matters, shared his story of learning to draw while she was in recovery, and it struck a chord. From there, he continued to publish books and later online courses about the power of everyday art. And if you take one thing away from today, Know that this isn't about talent, and it isn't about becoming a professional artist. More than anything, Danny says that he loves making things and helping other people to find their way to doing the same. So let's learn how he does it. Welcome to Everything is Teachable, the podcast that takes you behind the scenes to learn how everyday creators have transformed their skills and passions into online courses and businesses. To introduce this week's episode, here's your host, Melissa Guller. Hey everyone, I'm Melissa from Team Teachable, and today I'm here with Danny Gregory. Danny Gregory is an international bestseller and the co-founder of Sketchbook School with tens of thousands of students worldwide. He previously spent three decades as one of New York's leading advertising creative directors and has created award-winning global campaigns for clients like Chase, American Express, Ford, and many others. Through his many books, and in the several large online communities he oversees, Danny has shown thousands of people how to ignite their inner artists, embrace their creativity, and tell the stories of their lives. From Indiana to Indonesia, people who haven't drawn since grade school have picked up the creative habit and gone on to publish books of their own and show and sell their artwork. His online school, Sketchbook School, is a video-based art school designed to inspire creative storytelling through illustrated journaling. Taught by the world's best illustrators, artists, and educators, Sketchbook School, with a K, encourages its global community of over 15,000 students to draw and keep a sketchbook, regardless of skill level. Well, Danny, welcome to the podcast. Great to be here. I'm so excited to learn more about you and get to really take listeners into the story of Sketchbook School. So to kick things off, how did you first learn how to draw? Well, I didn't actually start drawing until I was in my late 30s. So I, I drew as a little kid like we all do. But it wasn't until I was in my late 30s when my my wife had an accident and she was disabled. And it was a very sudden and kind of shocking event that 
changed my life and my family's life literally from one minute to the next. And and I had spent quite some time looking for kind of meaning and purpose. Like what was what was the purpose of my life? What was the meaning of this thing that had happened to my wife? How are we going to cope with this? Uh, my wife had 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 an accident that left her paralyzed and in a wheelchair. So, you know, we just had a lot of new things to figure out. And I found my way to drawing as a as a basically like a, a calming therapeutic meditative exercise i guess more than anything it was a way of really getting to live in the present rather than living in in kind of fear and anxiety that i had around this accident and everything that had happened so i started to draw and then i started to keep an illustrated sketchbook that became like a diary so it was an illustrated journal and I would carry it with me everywhere, and I would just record my day- daily life in this sketchbook. And as I did, I learned to draw so many different things. I discovered that drawing isn't what we think of when we think of drawing lessons, you know, go and draw a bowl of fruit or a skeleton or a naked person or something like that. That actually drawing is something that can be integrated into your daily life. And you can draw what you eat for breakfast. You can draw the other people on the bus as you go to work. You can draw literally anything. And it all is art, or maybe it's not art, or maybe that doesn't matter. But it is a really fun thing to do. And it really, I found it incredibly centering and meaningful. And that's that was that was a, a process that started 20 years ago. And I still draw every day and I still love it. It's interesting to hear you talk about how it was a form of journaling for you, because I think maybe some pressure that comes in when people imagine drawing is, oh, other people are going to see this. What if it's not very good? But your art wasn't really for other people at the beginning, it sounds like. So maybe that took some pressure off. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think drawing in a sketchbook as opposed to, you know, thinking about drawings that are going to hang on the wall or, or, you know, be seen publicly is, is a very different process because when you draw in a sketchbook, it's a single page that you're doing a drawing on. If you don't like the drawing, you turn the page and you have a blank slate and you c- can start afresh. But But what happens is over time, you start to fill up the sketchbook and you start to fill it up with experiences, with memories, with feelings, and it becomes a book about your life. So the fact that there are drawings in it and whether or not your drawing ability is as good as you would like it to be, that becomes less important. And what matters instead is, is your experience recording your life. I think it's similar to saying, I'd like to keep a diary, but my handwriting isn't very good. I'd like to keep a diary, but you know I'm not a great speller. Those things wouldn't get in your way. So why should it get in your way with drawing? Again, as you say, it's a private thing. I think over time, also, it is something you may choose to share. It doesn't really matter if you do or don't. But I think it is certainly something that you will share with the future versions of you who will look back on this time and and be able to experience it once again. Mm. I do like that perspective that you're offering on the fact that it's for you, or I think the comparison to the handwriting or the spelling is something that will make sense to a lot of people. But I still have to ask, I do think there's a misconception. A lot of people say, I just can't draw. So do you think that that's true? Some people just don't have it? I don't think so. Uh, in fact, I have a new book that's coming out in a couple of months that's called How to Draw Without Talent. And that's actually the name of one of the, our best-selling course on, on uh, sketchbookschool.com, How to Draw Without Talent. Because we have this feeling that talent is this sort of 
thing that we're given at birth, and either we have it or we don't have it. And if we don't have it, there's no point in proceeding. My feeling is maybe talent exists or maybe it doesn't. I don't really know and I don't really care because if talent is something that I don't have, I can still have all this fun. I can still have this experience. I can still go on this journey and I don't need talent to do that. I can have this this feeling. So maybe having talent makes it a little bit easier. Maybe having talent maybe makes it possible to make a living doing it. But I equate it with cooking. I think that there are people who are talented chefs, right? There's no question we ask, we say to ourselves like, you know, so-and-so is a really talented chef. But that doesn't stop you from making an omelet. That doesn't stop you from, you know, grilling a burger. You don't, you don't say, well, I don't have any talent for cooking, so therefore I guess I just won't cook. So why should that be true of this? When we were five, six, seven, we had no idea what talent was. We took a bunch of crayons and we drew. You know, and maybe somebody had talent and the teacher hung it up on the wall and maybe something other kid didn't and he didn't really care. I want to go back to that time when we're just not judging, we're not condemning ourselves, we're not limiting ourselves, but we're just enjoying ourselves and we're getting all the enormous benefits that we get out of art making and meditation and contemplation and self-analysis and all these other things. Meditation, I think, is a really interesting comparison. I think a lot of people group art into the performance world. You know, it's something that is on a wall. It's something that people can see or it's something that's physical. But throughout this conversation so far, I've noticed that you've really been tying art to meaning or introspection, which is a really refreshing perspective to me. It's not something I've really considered before. Yeah, we make a distinction between art with a capital A and art with a small A, we call it. Mm-hmm. So art with a small A is just everyday art. It's the grilled cheese sandwiches of art, you know? And art with a capital A is in galleries and auction houses and museums, and that's nothing to do with us. What we're doing is we're doing the equivalent of, of whistling in the shower, you know? We're doing the equivalent of dancing by yourself to your favorite song in your room. It doesn't have to be something that anybody else sees. And the fact is that even if somebody does see what you're doing, I've never encountered any reaction except, boy, I wish I could do that. So if I'm sitting and drawing in a cafe or a park and somebody sees what I'm doing, that's their reaction. It's not like, what are you, an artist? Do you think you're so great? What do you make money doing that? No. They say, oh, I wish I could draw. I wish I drew. You know, so I think that's a feeling that we all have. So why do we limit ourselves by worrying about professionalism and audience and so forth when we can just try it, do it, see what happens? Mm-hmm. And to your point, people are focusing on the skill, whether it's remarking, oh, look at them drawing, I wish they could do it. Or even for us, we're about to talk to people who are learning how to draw. That's about you and the skill that you're developing. And certainly, I think that ties us right into teaching. So Mm -hmm. how did you first get that idea to start up what became Sketchbook School? Well, as I said, I didn't learn to draw. You know, I mean, I I may have taken an art class in high school, but I didn't remember any of it. So when I sat down to start drawing, I just kind of did it and then I did it some more. And then eventually it just became easier and I felt more confident. So I wrote a, a couple of books and then I started blogging in about 2003. And I started to develop an audience and people saw my drawings and they started to say, well, will you teach me to draw or will you, do you, do you do workshops? That kind of thing. I'd never been to a workshop. I didn't know anything about it. And eventually 
I was invited to do some workshops and to do some public speaking on art and to to teach. And I felt very hesitant about it at first, honestly. I just, I, you know, it's it's one thing to know how to do something or to kind of think you know how to do something. And it's quite another thing to sort of have to retrofit. What does it mean to teach somebody else to do that? And so the first class that I taught was here in New York at a place called the Open Center. And it was a, they said, well, we would like you to teach a five-week course every evening for five weeks on like a Wednesday. And I thought, oh, no. Like, I have no idea what what that would entail. It's like, how long is it? Well, generally two to three hours. And I thought, I, okay, yeah. let's try it. Let's see what happens. Yeah, exactly. So so I went and I kind of just sort of started making it up. And I would admit to the people who were in the class, I said, honestly, I don't know what I'm doing, but let's see what happens. And I actually was speaking to somebody a couple of days ago who took that class 15 years ago. And he said, that changed my life because it was an opportunity to just kind of all learn together. You know, I didn't have the feeling that like you were some expert that I had to gain your knowledge or I had to like, we could all kind of stumble along together. And that to me is a natural way to learn. And it's a natural way to learn art, which is the way that I learned too. So, so I, as I said, I, I taught a couple of things, but then I did a workshop in Massachusetts and it was a weekend long workshop. And again, this is like the fourth or fifth time I had done this. And I'd always been ambivalent about it, but each time I was sort of really, somebody insisted that I try. So I had, I think it was 45 people came to this place in Massachusetts for the weekend and we worked our way through it. And it was a lot of fun and there was a lot of community feeling that developed among these students. And I felt a bit more confident about it. But at the end of the weekend, I was completely exhausted. I lost my voice for about three days. It was just really draining. And I thought, boy, this is an awful lot of work for 45 people. I spent you know, a couple of weeks preparing for this and then the three days of teaching. And, you know, it was, I got paid okay, you know, for the time, but it just, it didn't feel like really a good use of my time. And, and I had been working in advertising for 30 years. I'd been a creative director in advertising. And I was used to reaching really large audiences, obviously. You know, you do a Super Bowl commercial and 100 million people watch what you do. So spending the weekend with 45 people just felt like a different scale. I just didn't know how to process it really. Mm-hmm. Or how do you evaluate it? And then, so I, I'd seen a few people who were teaching online. I had, a, I had a friend in San Francisco who was teaching sort of, I, I would call them sort of creativity coaching classes. And then I knew a couple of people who taught some form of drawing online. It seemed sort of interesting, but and as if I, I had been online for since the early 2000s at that point. And I had actually created a couple of online communities. Actually, in the 90s, I had created communities. One was on what then became Yahoo. And so I really understood the benefits and the possibilities of lots of people gathering together with a common interest. I I understood that natively. But I didn't really know about teaching. But I did know a lot about video production because I had made a lot of commercials and I had been the Directors Guild and I knew a lot about editing. So I had these different skills. I I knew how to present stuff. I sort of knew about drawing. I kind of knew about you know, I knew, did know about production, and I sort of knew about online stuff. So I was invited to speak at a conference in, in Amsterdam. And when I was getting to, ready to go there, I mentioned on, I think it was on Facebook, I said, 
I'm coming to Amsterdam. Is anybody who'd like to get together, you know, who lives there? I'd just like to hang out and talk to you about drawing and stuff. And one of the people who contacted me was uh, a woman named Kosha Kona, who is an illustrator, and she's based in Amsterdam. And she ended up actually becoming my business partner in sketchbook school. And so we met up. We had a cup of tea. We talked about, and I, I kind of told her about these various things that I was doing, and and she had been, she had taught one or two courses on a, on a different platform, not on Teachable, a different platform, and had like reasonable experience doing it. And then when I came back home, we continued to discuss this idea over email. And I knew quite a lot of artists who taught workshops and who did stuff. I had a big kind of collection of people I'd gathered over the years. I'd written a couple of books with other people. And um, so I had a lot of good connections for other people who maybe could go into this with us. And so we decided that we would make our first course. And it was going to be a, a six-week course. And each of us would do one week. So it would be six teachers, six weeks, and we would see what happened, see what it was like. So it's just a one-time thing, one project of many other things that I was working on. I'll just do this one project. And we decided that each teacher would produce their own content, would shoot their own videos, and Kosha and I would be in charge of developing the platform, doing the marketing, and we would figure out how to share the revenue between all of us. So we did this first class, and we, we talked about it for a couple of months beforehand online with our various communities. We kind of merged our different communities, and there was a lot of interest, and we the platform that we were on could take 2,000 students. And when our first course came out, it sold out. Like we couldn't take more than 2,000 and that was it. So we filled it up. So that was interesting. It's like, okay, we, we charged $99 for this course. And without really an awful lot of work or planning, we sold out and made quite a nice profit from it. So this seemed like, okay, this is an interesting thing to do. And the response to the class itself was phenomenal. I mean, a real community developed around it. There was just so much interest in it and in the approach that we had. So then we went off and did another one. And then we continued to do it. Now we, on Monday, we're launching our 27th class, all kind of stemming from that original class. And we named it sketchbook school from the beginning because it was a school to teach you how to draw in a sketchbook and we spelt school with a k because we wanted to say it's not really a serious school it's just kind of fun mm -hmm. and i have to say the branding on your website is very fun it seems like the kind of place that you would take a course you would have an enjoyable time doing it it doesn't feel very like hoity-toity high pressure yeah i mean from my experience uh, there's a lot of nonsense around art education. There's a lot of jargon. There's a lot of authorities. And, you know, I just remember, the, you know, a couple times in high school when I did take art classes, just being kind of mystified by the whole thing. And I think a lot of people did feel that way. And I just wanted to capture sort of the fun and the, you know, the idea that we're we're not authorities. I mean, our our motto for our company is art for all. And the idea is, you know, Anybody can learn to do this at any level. You don't need talent. You just need an interest in doing it. So we always wanted to make it feel friendly, accessible, and not authoritative. Mm -hmm. And I do hope that people might check out sketchbookschool.com because it is a really beautiful site to look at. Beautiful in terms of user experience. Like it feels good to be on your website, which you did not pay me to say, but I do really love your site. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thanks very much. Yeah. I'm curious. We have to go back for one second to the fact that you sold out, did you say 2,000 seats the first time you did this? Yes, that was the first time. 
How did you possibly find 2,000 people right off the bat? Well, as I said, I had been blogging for a while, so I had about mm. 40,000 readers of my blog. I had written, at that point, probably four or five books, some of which had generated 75 to 100,000 copies had been sold. Each of our teachers also had followings online. And so when they publicized to their people that this was going to happen, there was a lot of interest there. And this was a unique thing. Like nobody really had had this experience of a one class with all these different teachers and all these different points of view, and that it was about sketchbook art, which is something that hadn't really been focused on before. The idea that it's not just about learning to draw. It's about this experience of keeping a sketchbook as a journal and recording the, the world around you and the variety of different teachers that we had. We had very different artists who were doing this. So it just seemed like something new and different. And we also spent, as I said, two or three months kind of talking about it, making videos about it. We pretended that we had developed this whole school. And I would talk about, you know, here I am on the campus and then we shot stuff like in California where I would pretend that that's where the football stadium was going to go. And we just did a lot of fun things to kind of generate feelings about what this was going to be like, that it wasn't going to be a normal online class. It was going to be an experience that was going to be great fun. Mm -hmm. I really love how many teachers you brought in because there are so many benefits that you've just listed, whether it's the different perspectives, the different styles, their different backgrounds, or even through the fact that it means one-sixth of the work for each of you in a lot of ways, and then the audiences that each of you brought to the table for that initial launch. And I think that that's such a smart approach. Well, that a lot of those things did change over time. I mean, now we've had, we have close to 60 teachers who have worked with us. But but what we decided after two, or th probably by the time we got to our third course, we had been asking the teachers to make their own content. So they, so some of them would shoot it themselves. Some of them would hire, you know, some videographer to shoot stuff. But it wasn't good enough for me. Like the quality of it was like, okay, but I really wanted to make something that looked different. I mean, I've seen so many online classes and I've seen things that people shoot with webcams and they shoot, you know, that feel very stiff. And I've seen infinite numbers of YouTube tutorials of one kind or another with the overhead camera shooting down at a desk. And and I just wanted to avoid all that. I, I really wanted to make films that were at the same level as what I was used to making with advertising. Mm -hmm. So by the time we got to our third class, we started to, f to hire crews and we would film, we would go and we would actually that all the artist, the teacher had to do really was to present that one day. We would go, we would film them with our crew, and then we would come back and we would do all the post-production. And so it became much, much more intensive labor for us. And we also changed our financial arrangements with the other artists. So rather than them kind of sharing in the proceeds, it became that we paid them as if they were talent. And mm -hmm. we acted a, a little bit more like like a publisher would than like a cooperative. It was the only reasonable way to do it because what I've discovered is that there are people who are great at drawing and making art. There are people who are great at teaching and there are people who are great at presenting in a video. And it's rare to find people who are all three of those things. So our job became turning artists who we loved 
sometimes turning them into teachers because sometimes like me, they had never taught and sometimes turning them into, you know, figuring out ways to get them to perform, figuring out ways to develop scripts with them and, you know, to film them in interesting ways. And we've filmed all around the world. We've used all kinds of technology. We've used green screens and drones and we've rented stages. We've gotten more and more complex over the five years that we've been doing this. Hmm, It certainly sounds like it. Well, in addition to obviously scaling quite a bit and getting the different teacher arrangements, like you talked about, the financials, all of that, how else has your business shifted over the last five years? Well, so we continue to develop an audience around the classes, but then we, fairly early on, we started a Facebook group. And the Facebook group was a closed Facebook group. That was actually a request from our first students. They said, I want to make art and share it on Facebook, but I don't want to necessarily let everybody in my social circle know that I'm drawing. A lot of people just felt apprehensive about it. And they, and they were willing to share what they were doing with other people who were in the same boat, but they weren't necessarily, they didn't necessarily want, you know, their cousin or their coworker coming up and saying, oh, nice drawing of a tree. So we had this group and it grew. I mean, we ended, we have, I don't know, 35,000 people or so in the group now. So we just developed a big community there. And that, and that community of people in the classes, because we did a lot to try and encourage discussion in the class itself. So it wasn't just that you're presenting a drawing or doing the homework for the teacher. In fact, we made a point to say, the teacher is not here to grade your work or to evaluate your work. It's your responsibility kind of as a grown-up to to take what you can from the teacher. But ultimately, if you want feedback, it's going to come from your classmates. And that worked really well. I mean, initially we had we, we always have teachers kind of going in and making some comments, but you know we've had I don't know sixty thousand students now in our classes, and you just simply can't ha- expect uh, an artist to go in and make comments on all this stuff. It just isn't it isn't useful or or possible. But getting feedback from other students worked really well, and it was encouraging. And and we also have weekly webinars when we launch a class so that the teachers are available to anybody who wants to come to the webinar to ask questions. So you do have an opportunity to ask questions of the teacher if you didn't understand something about what they were saying, but you don't necessarily get the opportunity to have like a one-on-one critique of your work. So all these things help to develop this community, which ultimately led to us creating a sort of another aspect of our business, which is what we call SketchCon. So it's kind of like Comic-Con, but it's for sketching. And uh, we had our first one in Pasadena last fall. 500 people flew to Pasadena, and we had a four-day event there where we had workshops and presentations and parties and sponsors. And so having live events that allow the community to get together is another part of of our business now. Um, So, you know, we've continued to expand. We're also, our first book under the Sketchbook School imprint is coming out, being uh, released by Penguin Random House uh, in November. And we're just, the the brand is continuing to stretch out into different ways. Mm -hmm. It's really interesting to hear about how many elements of community or just having students be able to interact with each other you've brought into things. Because if I were just watching a course online and I felt like I couldn't draw, even if the video was wonderful, even if the teacher was wonderful, I think I could feel a little bit dejected. 
But the fact that you have so many opportunities for people to interact with each other or say, like, oh, I didn't know what I was doing either, that must feel good, you know, be a part of something. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we reinforce the idea over and over again that we are all learning together. And this is not about, oh, she's so much better than I am. In fact, people encourage each other just for trying and that it's that it takes some courage to share something that you've just done for the first time. And we understand that. But we, you know, we really, we explain to people that getting the reinforcement that you get from other people is a crucial part of continuing with the class. I just remember when I first started examining the whole idea of online classes, you know, I remember reading about when oh, when lots of universities were starting to put their courses online. And, you know, you could go and take a history class at Harvard. And I signed up for a couple of things like that. Sure, why not? They were free. And we discussed, you know, fairly quickly it became evident that while large numbers of people signed up, very few people actually completed these classes because there was nobody holding you accountable. There was no feedback. You weren't really in school. The teacher didn't know or care who you were. And so it's up to you entirely as to whether you continue to watch these things. And you know, we just didn't want to make classes that people didn't watch. So we tried to do a lot to say, Hey, you know, what did you think? How are you feeling about this? What are your problems? What are you getting out of this? You know, and always asking questions. I think with virtually every lesson we have, we encourage discussion. So if we have a documentary about an artist, we'll pull themes out of what that artist has said to spur discussion. And that creates community feeling as well because people share each other's points of view and they and they respond to each other. And so the friendships that have formed just again, in this class. And and I haven't seen that in a lot of the online classes I've taken. And when I've gone to big platforms like you know, Udemy or Skillshare, there you just see, yes, there's thousands and thousands and thousands of classes. Sure, I guess that's great. But you just feel like you're wandering alone through giant empty buildings. you know, Or you're taking a class which you may be enthusiastic about initially, but then you just don't stick with it. Or if you run into a problem, there's nobody to ask about it. You know, you get distracted. And I think that large platforms are also devaluing the value of these online experiences. So that if you can sign up for $10 and get access to 20,000 courses, that's, that isn't necessarily a good thing. You know, I don't feel like it is. I, th- I feel like curated, focused, relevant information is what we want. It's not necessarily an endless warehouse where you have to kind of sift between the good and the bad. And yes, it may be less expensive, but it's certainly not more valuable. Sifting between the good and the bad, that also reminds me of the common question of, well, couldn't people just Google this information? And sure, you can Google a lot of info. You can get a lot of less expensive courses through marketplaces like you're talking about. But it's almost like that information overload probably paralyzes a lot of people from taking any action at all. And I love the insight that you're sharing about how if you can engage your students and ask them to, you know, do something simple like reflecting on something they noticed in one of the videos or even just do something small and see that other people are doing that as well. I think that makes such a world of difference because otherwise it's just you and your computer, which can feel very lonely. Right. And I think we're not really trying to sell information because as you say, you can go to the library and you can take out a book on art instruction. You can watch an endless stream of amateur YouTube videos. There's plenty of places to do that, but A, it's a lot of work to do that. And B, it's just information. What we do is we engage you. So we try to get you to 
start to see yourself as an artist, as a creative person. That's not a technical thing. That's not about information. It's about encouragement. It's about coaching. It's about overcoming your concerns and fears. Why don't you already know how to do this? Because there are blocks that you've had. One of the first comments that we got on our very first class, somebody said, this seems more like self-help than art instruction. And I thought, yeah, it is. Because you know, learning how to use a, a pencil is sort of intuitive. And yes, there are technical things about how watercolor works, and we, and we certainly will teach you that. But the bigger question is, what do you do when you encounter a difficulty? So you start to do a watercolor painting, you've learned the technical things, but then suddenly something's challenging to you. Who's going to make you keep trying? What if the first drawing you do is ugly? And it isn't what you thought it was going to be. Do you just give up and just say, I have no talent? Or do you, does something make you want to keep working at it? Because it's not just, again, about the information. That's why schools don't just hand out textbooks. They have teachers, right? So yes, the teacher may assign part of the textbook to you, but that's not an education. You need to engage in discussion. You need to be able to ask the teacher the relevance of what you're doing. You need to be able to get perspective. You need to be able to think about it. You need to be held accountable. That's what learning is about as well, not just information. That's such a good insight, I think, for anybody listening who has any interest in being a creator or building online courses because you can hand anybody a pencil to your point and they could draw something. But the purpose of your course is not draw one thing and then be done. This is something that's like a practice. It's something that is even, I would say, part of somebody's identity that they would say, I am an artist. I can do this. And that's what people want from the online course. They don't just want a one-time event. They're looking for some kind of transformation or some kind of new bud of their identity. Exactly. What we're trying to do is we're trying to change people's lives. We're trying to help them to accomplish something that they may have wanted to always do. We have a lot of people who took art classes in high school and kind of thought of themselves as part of the arty clique, let's say. And then when it came time to apply to college, maybe somebody in their family said, well, I'm not spending a bunch of money sending you to art school. What are you talking about? You're going to learn to, you know, you're going to go to business school. Or maybe they did go to art school. Maybe they got a design degree. And then they went in and became designers, but they ended up working in a design department of a bank. And they're laying out brochures. And here they are 10, 15, 20 years down the road. And they're so far from where they were when they had that crazy passion to draw and paint sitting in their bedrooms when they were teenagers, you know? And, and then finally they say to themselves, this is my time. Like, I want to get back to my dream. And yeah, maybe I'm not going to do it for a living. Fine. I'm not going to be a professional artist. But does that mean I can't do this at all? No, it means I can. And I just need classes and a community to not necessarily even teach me, but just give me motivation to do this, to go back, to explore, to relearn, to make mistakes, to do experiments, to go on a journey again. That's, that's really what I need. And so I think a lot of people who are adults say, boy, I wish I could go to college again. I think I would get much more out of it now. You know? and, and I think that that's how we feel. And I think going back to the question about information, like when you pass your learner's permit to get your driver's license. They give you that little book that has all the rules of the road, right? So it's all the information that you need theoretically in order to be a driver. Go read this little pamphlet and you're good to go. That's that's what you need. But of course, that's not how you learn to drive. 
You learn to drive by taking some driving lessons or by sitting in the car with your parent in the parking lot of the supermarket and practicing. But ultimately, you learn to drive by driving, by driving for probably years before you feel completely comfortable. So those are the different parts of the education that matters, not what was said in that booklet that you needed to study to pass the test. But what did you really need to learn to drive? You needed to make it intuitive. You needed to make it feel part of your body, you know, so you could do it instinctively. And it's the same of drawing. Drawing isn't just about learning about perspective and foreshortening and shadows and stuff like that. It's about learning to feel and think like an artist, to to see like an artist, to give yourself time to find space in your life. All those things human beings need to teach you, not just YouTube videos. Mm -hmm. And to kind of continue something we've been circling around, when you are a teacher, you aren't just giving somebody steps. You're also motivating. You're also encouraging. You're also giving them the idea of what their life could be like if and when they learn this new skill. So it's so much more than just saying, do this and then that. Right. Every artist that we introduce in a class we don't begin with them teaching you how to do something. We begin with them telling you their story. We make a film about their life. Here I am. Let me tell you about what it was like when I was a kid. Let me tell you about what kind of education I got. Let me tell you about what it's like to be a professional artist. Let me tell you about who inspired me. And let me show you around my studio. Let me show you the materials that I use. Let me take some sketchbooks off the shelf and show you the work that I've done and tell you some stories about it. And let's do all that. We're going to spend, and I, so maybe the first half of the lessons in a week at sketchbook school are those kinds of things. Then finally, the artist says, all right, let's sit down and do a drawing. Let me show you how I do this. And let me tell you about it as I do it. And so then the artist does a demonstration and, you know, or maybe they do several different ones and they tell you about what they're doing and then they'll give you an assignment. And the assignment isn't necessarily to do what they did. It's to take everything that they've talked about and to say, okay, now you make something, you know, and some people will just copy what the teacher did and others will take this as an opportunity to springboard into something that they're inspired by and to go in a whole new direction. And that's the really the opportunity. And that's why people go back and watch our classes again. We find that giving people lifetime access to our classes is really important because what we're saying is, look, this is going to be dense and also it's going to be an experience that you're going to go through it once, but then you're going to take other classes with us and you're going to want to come back to these earlier classes again. And you're going to want to re-explore it and you're going to see it in a new way, in a different way. And also, it's going to fit into your life. That's a crucial part of offering online classes is to say, do this when you want to. You don't have to be here on Tuesday evening at 8 o'clock, you know, and you don't have to get a babysitter and you don't have to... You do it when you want to and you know, do it at your own pace. But we also do things to make sure that you're not going to forget that you signed up for this class. You know, we do a lot of things to send emails. We have magazines. We do an awful lot of stuff on YouTube. We do live events to just remind you that, hey, remember you signed up for this? Well, get back to class. Do some more. People want to see what you're doing. Don't forget about it. Because I think that that's a very common thing people are eager to spend the money initially, but then they aren't necessarily eager to spend the time and the effort required to actually go through the course. And to your point, they can take the class anytime, but that also puts a lot of the responsibility on them to find the time. So I like what you're suggesting, you know, the beauty of online courses, that it's self-paced. 
You can turn on your computer. You can watch as much or as little as you can. But the reminders help and getting in their ear and encouraging them and giving them little things to do makes a huge difference, I'm sure, in getting them to actually move through the course. Yeah, I mean, we we generally drip out our content. So if you sign up for a four-week class, you will get a part of it each week for four weeks. And you'll also get an email every Monday morning telling you this is what's going to happen this week. And here's a link to get right to the classroom so you don't have to look up where's your password and all that other stuff. We try and make it as easy as possible. Then we also um, have this webinar on Fridays, and we send you another invitation to that and remind you that that's happening. And then also, my partner and I, even if we're not the teacher, teachers in the class, we do the homework and we make a video that we call study hall, which is about our experience of doing the homework. And we post that too as another incentive to say, hey, don't you want to do this too? Look what we're all doing. Look how much fun it is to participate. Hmm. And to briefly go back to the drip content concept, when you're doing that, you're emailing out new material every week. If somebody moves ahead more quickly, do you lock the future content? Yes, we don't. We don't encourage them to move ahead. When, when somebody signs up for one of our classes on demand, they will have access to it. But generally, we give them, first of all, we give them enough to do. So it's rarely the problem that people run out of stuff. It's more that they don't manage to complete all of it. But no, we, we definitely think that it's better to say, keep, keep thinking about this. You know, There's no reason to rush ahead and, and churn through all this stuff. There's a lot of ideas in here. There's a lot of stuff to, you know, and if you need more things to do, we're doing stuff in the community. Other people are posting their work. We're having discussions about it. Participate in all that stuff. And, you know, if you want to learn more about the artist, here are links to their work. Go in and visit their site. Check out their Instagram. There's a lot of other things that you can be doing if you want to learn more. But the idea that you're going to kind of binge your way through this whole thing is that's not our intention. That's not what we want to do. We want to make sure that you are getting this deep into you. It's not just about, you're not going to be able to gorge yourself and, and get what you would if you if you take your time. Mm -hmm. And what's nice about dripping out the content in weeks or pieces is not only is it more manageable, but then as a student, you get a sense of accomplishment, little wins along the way where you feel like, okay, I've made this week's worth of progress and now I'm ready for next week's, but you feel like you did something, which is huge. Right. And it's also not like when you, if you sign up for a course and there's weeks and weeks of information right there, mm -hmm. just that mountain of stuff ahead of you, that can be daunting so you don't even get started, you know? Mm -hmm. So that's part of what it is too. I mean, we also, if you sign up for a course before we've actually begun it, because we tend to spend about a month promoting our courses before they begin. When you sign up, you get access to Teachable and you get access to go into our classroom. And we have some stuff for you to do there. We explain how the platform works. We introduce you to the teacher. We encourage you to go to the schoolyard. We give you a few tidbits and stuff so you can get engaged right away. Uh, and then we also continue to encourage discussion in social media and in our community about how excited we all are about what's going to happen. So we might say, have you bought any tools yet for this class? Uh, what do you think is going to happen? What is it going to be like? That kind of thing. So in fact, we have this new class launching on Monday. I just finished doing a live webinar on YouTube a couple hours ago where I answered questions that people had about the course before it started. And that was an opportunity also to encourage people who were still on the fence about it to say, all right, 
what do you need to know to make a decision? Let's let's talk about it. So it really feels like not like purchasing a thing, but getting ready for an event. You know, like as if you were going to a conference or getting ready to go on a vacation. Is making the anticipation of the launch of it as fun as the course itself is going to be is. I mean, it helps to sell, but it also just makes it more fun for us and for the students. Mm -hmm. In a lot of ways, as the creator, you're kind of the host of the experience, and it's your job to guide people through. Exactly. I mean, one of my kind of idols is Walt Disney. And I remember as a kid, like watching the wonderful world of Walt Disney, and it would always start with Walt, like in his office, talking to the camera and kind of explaining like, this is what we're going to do this week. We're going to go to Africa or we're going to go to Mars. And he was like this constant presence throughout the program. And we try to, my partner and I try to play that role too, where we're there each week to introduce you to this week's teacher and to maybe be there to interview them or to, you know, as we said, do our homework, to talk about it. So while we have a changing cast of characters, we also have the two of us representing our brand, representing a constant personality for the students. Again, not just the content, but really a feeling of I'm part of a call. And we have people who have taken 27 courses with us. Mm-hmm. They've spent close to $3,000 in art lessons over the years. You know, That's pretty phenomenal. Um, and that's because they trust us. Basically, they say, we don't care what it is. If you guys are doing it, we want to be part of it. And that, that makes our lives easier, and it's very rewarding. Mm-hmm. I'm sure it must be hugely rewarding. I mean, we've talked about how many people have gone through your courses at this point, and you're... 28th course, did you say, coming out? I'm sure it might be out already, actually, um, by the time this airs. So I did want to give you a chance just before we go to share. Where can people take a look at all your courses and learn more if they want to check it out? So sketchbookschool.com, and we spell school with a K, so sketchbook school, one word. So that site is our basically our catalog of courses is there. There's also, we give away a lot of free things. We have free course samples. We have newsletters. We have eBooks and all that kind of stuff that you can sign up for there as well. Then we also have a a page on Facebook, which is Sketchbook School News. And then of course we have our community there. And then we have our community on our own platform and we have Instagram at Sketchbook School. So there's, we're, we're on lots of different platforms. We find that Facebook was great for building our community, and Instagram is becoming increasingly important to us as well. We personally don't find Twitter terribly useful because we're so much of a visual medium. And YouTube, you know, we've made, I don't know, many, many hundreds of videos over the years. That, and we do, we have two weekly series. One is called Draw Tip Tuesday, and one is called Draw With Me. And those are both weekly events one of them is live and one of them is uh is just a weekly thing but but we, we and we and we've had a podcast so just we try to hit people in as many different ways as possible a lot of what drives us frankly in doing these things is we like it mm-hmm. we think it's fun to make videos we like making uh, obviously we're doing a podcast now uh we like podcasts we like communicating we like creating and that's the most fun thing about this whole business is the opportunity it's not i think some people think of online teaching as some sort of passive income 
kind of game, like teach something and set it up there and then go and like sit on the beach while your money rolls in. That's never been my interest. I love this business because it's so interesting. It has so many different facets to it. And it's such a great opportunity to meet people and to learn their stories and to help people. I mean, we help a lot of people. And every day, literally every day, we get an email from somebody saying, you've changed my life. You've helped me to accomplish this thing I never thought I could do. And that's better than making money, although making money is nice too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I love that you said you enjoy it. This is something that I think has so many possible creative outlets, different forms of writing and art and video and speaking and so many options that it is really enjoyable. And I think that's important Absolutely. to bring up. You know, I mean, it's, it's, I think if you're not enjoying it, then your classes will be dull. I think if you're not passionate about what you're teaching, I mean, we've all had teachers who are, you know, had one eye on the clock or were worried about, you know, their retirement. And we can all smell that, I think. But if you have a teacher who's like loves what their, what their content is, loves their, their discipline, it's infectious. And that's how you learn. Mm -hmm. Well, we've had so much great insights from you throughout this entire episode. I can't wait for listeners to hear. Before we go, do you have any final words of wisdom or inspiration? Well, I think if you're thinking about trying this, try it. I mean, that's what I did. We just did it, you know. And in fact, it, I think the first platform that we used, and I think Teachable has a program like this, doesn't really cost you much, if anything. Um, so just try it. And you, you don't have to do elaborate video productions. You can just do a written course. You know, you don't have to necessarily have huge success right away. I mean, we've been building our business over five years, but it's a really rewarding thing to do and to share what you know, to share what you've learned in any field with other people. That's the reason that we're here, you know, whether we're parents teaching our kids uh, or whether we're members of a community helping other people who are coming up behind us. It's something I did in my career as an executive. I taught younger people and they took my place over time. That is, I think, the most valuable thing that we can do is to pass on our knowledge. So jump in and do it. Don't you know, force yourself into unrealistic expectations about how easy it's going to be or how hard it's going to be or how much money you're going to make or not make. Just try, try doing it. Try doing a course. And, uh, and, and I, th I think you'll have a really good experience, whether it turns out exactly as you thought or not. It will still be worthwhile. Mm -hmm. Great advice. Well, Danny, it's been such a pleasure learning more about how you learn to draw, how you're passing it forward and the community that you've grown. And hopefully people will take a look at Sketchbook School and see if they can, you know, try their hand quite literally. Yes, absolutely. Everybody can draw and it's terrific fun. So sign up for my class, How to Draw Without Talent. It's, uh, it's affordable, it's fast, and it's super fun. Thank you so much for joining us this week. You can learn more about Danny, Sketchbook School, and Teachable in the show notes at teachable.com slash EIT17. One more thing. Before we go, I just wanted to say a huge thank you to all of you listeners out there for helping us become one of Apple's featured best new podcasts in 2019. Without you tuning in each week and leaving us such kind reviews, we wouldn't be anywhere. So thank you from all of us here at Teachable. And if you haven't left us a rating yet, we hope you might have a few extra seconds to spare to give us a five-star rating and even a short review if you're feeling extra inspired. So on behalf of Team Teachable, 
We hope you enjoyed this episode about drawing and creativity with Danny Gregory. We'll see you in the next episode of Everything is Teachable. This podcast is produced by Teachable, where our mission is to empower creators to transform their knowledge into income. To date, we've helped over 60,000 creators build and sell online courses that have been shared with almost 20 million students, and we're just getting started. To learn more or start creating for free, visit teachable.com.